Coffee Mountain Review for Tuesday, October 6, 2020. I'm your host, Cutter Babcock. And I'm Ivy Winfrey. And you're listening to KCSU Fort Collins. On today's show, I'll be updating you on campus and local news, and then we'll be re-airing an interview with Dr. Malika Fair with, about COVID-19. KCSU Assistant Sports Director Jonathan Gillum has also prepared some updates, and I'll be delivering some national news. To conclude the show, Cutter will be giving some updates on COVID-19. Let's move right into campus and local news. Hi there, I'm Ivy Winfrey, and this is your campus and local news on the Rocky Mountain Review. Starting off with local news, according to Rebecca Powell at the Coloradoan, the Cameron Peak Fire is currently burning at over 125,000 acres and is now 41% contained. A red flag warning was put into place Sunday and Monday due to dry and hot weather, but the fire's growth was minimal. On Saturday, both federal and local firefighters patrolled around homes and structures to extinguish pockets of heat and prepare for any increased fire behavior. On the north flank of the fire, near Bel Air Lake, five bulldozers, five masticators, five feller bunchers, four skidders, two water tenders, an excavator, and a grader, and an engine are strengthening the fire line. That's in addition to other heavy equipment working on other parts of the fire. John Norton Jensen, operations trainee uh, with Northwest Incident Command Team, said on Sunday that additional burnouts took place in the Sheep Creek and Coral Creek drainages, and some air resources were used on the fire. There are nearly 900 people currently working on the fire. According to Kevin Duggan at the Coloradoan, Fort Collins may have to return to tighter COVID-19 restrictions based on recent trends. Katie O'Donnell, spokesperson for Larimer County Public Health, said that the county and state have seen a rise in cases in recent weeks across all age groups and that there have been substantial increases in positive cases among people 18 to 22 years old. A key metric for the state is in deciding what level of restrictions to impose on a county is the average number of cases per 100,000 residents over a 14-day period. As of Friday afternoon, the county's average was 123 cases. To keep the county's current level restrictions in place, the case rate must go down to about 75, O'Donnell said. Larimer County's case rate has been above 75 since September 17th. Colorado uses a dial framework that standardizes different levels of openness for counties. Larimer County is at the level 1 phase, but could lose that status and move to the stricter level 2 restrictions on businesses if cases don't go down. Tom Gonzalez... Larimer County Public Health Director said in a press release, Larimer County residents have worked hard to maintain a lower case rate and as a result have reduced illness and death. However, we can't let our guard down. I understand we are all tired of these new restrictions, but lowering our guard may lead to more illness and further rollbacks for our businesses, end quote. To find out more, you can visit larimer.org health. Moving on to campus news. Colorado State University President Joyce McConnell announced that she would not be giving her regular annual fall address this year due to COVID-19 restrictions. In its place, McConnell announced that she would be instead be releasing a series of one-on-one interviews with CSU faculty and experts to highlight the work being done at CSU. The Tell Me More conversation series will be available on the university's YouTube channel throughout the academic year and be accessible through the president's webpage. They'll be released intermittently throughout the next school year, and the first interview, featuring Dr. Marcia Heneo Tomeo of the College of Veterinary Medicine and Biomedical Sciences, has already been released. According to Dylan Thomas at CBS Denver, CSU has had a COVID-19 infection rate four times lower than that of the University of Colorado Boulder. Of nearly 19,000 COVID-19 tests administered since freshman move-in, 
only 1.2% of tests came back positive for COVID-19 at CSU. In Boulder, the rate is currently at just under 4%. CSU has invested more than $2 million thus far in administering tests for students in preventing the spread among classrooms and dormitories. A spokesperson for CSU said that the university is pleased with their ability thus far to contain and prevent the spread among their student body. However, they noted that the virus has capability of jumping on them at any time. Kelly DiMartino, deputy, C- deputy city manager for Fort Collins, said this about the situation. Quote, we have heard a lot about our neighbors in Boulder and some of the things CEU has been experiencing. We are not in a position where we have that level of concern. End quote. This has been your campus and local news on the Rocky Mountain Review. We'll be right back. You just heard Ivy's newscast for local and campus news. Now we're going to be moving on to Jonathan Gillum, assistant sports director of KCSU's updates. It's Jonathan Gillum for KCSU Sports. Today we're going to do something just a little different. Instead of our typical sports news segment, we are going to do an interview. Today we have a special interview with the director of coaching of Norco Rush, which is a youth soccer club located here in Northern Colorado. The director has a list of qualifications, including a bachelor's degree in coaching development from Liverpool John Moores University. Please welcome Norco Rush's own Matt Foster. Matt, how are you? Good, Johnson. Um, getting us on here today. Yeah, great to have you on. I'm excited to do this. So let's let's dive right into this. So let's say if I was new to Colorado or just a Colorado parent trying to get their child into soccer, what would you tell them? Why your organization? I think one of the biggest things that we try and do here and a big attraction for us is that we always try and promote positive coaching. Um, Throughout our entire coaching staff, one of the things we encourage, teach, is all of our coaches to provide a positive environment, positive culture in which players can learn and develop and kind of maximize their growth. We have good qualified coaches as well who are passionate about the game, love what they do, um, dedicated, great people. So it's a good community to work in, trying to build that positive culture here and hopefully we're, we're, we're on the right track with that. I see your organization has a long list of core values. Your philosophy is where the trails of passion and purpose meet begins the path to victory. What are the results that your organization is seeing while instilling these core values and developing these young players? Good question. So I think we're seeing, we're seeing it quite a lot this season, really. Obviously, with the huge break that we had during COVID and kind of being quarantined for a little bit, we weren't able to do anything. And kids are really excited to be, to be back out playing, being with their friends, um, 
coaches have the same mentality, same philosophy. You can see that they're excited, excited to be out there, uh, running good sessions. Kids are, you can see that they're enjoying it just from watching the practices, um, interacting with the players. Same with the games on the weekends. The team, our teams have been doing really well in their games. Just you know, in terms of the performances, working really hard, um, delivering some of the some of the things that we 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 try and work on day to day. Um, and we've also been been able to see a little bit of growth in the club since the since the last spring season, which is obviously fantastic. And obviously, was kind of wasn't something we were really expecting, considering that you know the shutdown and the economy and stuff like that. We didn't know how people would really be able to afford to pay for soccer. But uh, we've done. I think we, our staff and, and and our admin and all that have done a great job at making sure that we provide a good product for our players and. Yeah, they're very passionate about the game, which is which is fantastic. Yeah, it is. So you mentioned, you know, obviously this is 2020, and we got to talk about it. It's COVID-19. How how is this yeah. going to work now? Everything's back. All businesses are back on. How are you guys operating different now? Uh, very differently. Um, <clears throat> we had a long time to plan. We kind of planned, scrapped stuff because we couldn't do it. Planned, scrapped stuff, and then eventually, um, just just as the summer started, we were able to get out and and do small group training. When we initially started, we did training, kind of social distance training. Kids were doing a lot of uh, ball mastery, footwork. There was no real contact, uh, no small-sided game. So kind of just getting kids back with the ball at their feet, which, which was great. And then event, uh, it was pretty quickly we were able to do small-sided games. So, you know, getting kids into, into a little bit larger groups, but slowly introducing uh, contact and um, coaches have got to wear masks at all times, players have got to wear masks coming to and from the field. We encourage players to bring their own balls, We're not, you know, we don't want parents to stick around and watch training, and stop large gatherings and that's kind of the same for our games as well. Our games we only allow two spectators per game, uh, per family, sorry. so yeah. each kid can bring two, two players per game. That's that's what we're seeing all around in sports right now, it's, it's crazy, the, the stands are empty and it's just yeah. something that we're all dealing with. So, yeah. all right, I, I saw on your website it says that you have an organization goal of trying to hit 70 games in a season. That sounds like a, a lot of games to play. When is the typical season? Like, When do you guys typically hold your season? So we start, it kind of starts at tryouts in, at the end of May. That's kind of really the starting point for us. We, we get our teams formed for the, for the next season, which begins in the fall. Train throughout the summer. We might do some scrimmages in the summer and maybe some tournaments in the summer as well. Um, obviously, with COVID, it, we've been unable to do tournaments because a lot of the tournaments have been cancelled. But um, we were just very thankful that we could we could start the fall season. So we generally start um, the, the game start at the end of August, and we go all the way through October. Then we do winter training. Teams will play indoor uh, futsal, um, maybe fit in a tournament or two in the winter, and then we'll go into the spring season, which starts at the end of February, early March, and that'll go through middle of May. So it's almost a, 10 months out of the year you're playing soccer. Yeah, yeah. so you get to you get to play all year long pretty much. Yeah, that's, that's, yeah, that's exciting. Great. So, okay, we all have busy schedules. So if I was a, a parent, when do you typically hold these events? Are they evenings typically, weekends? Yeah, so practices in the week. Um, that kind of depends on the coach, really. They get to de determine their own practice schedule. Most coaches practice two to three times a week. Usually, every other day so if you, you practice on a Monday and Wednesday or a Tuesday and a Thursday and then 
some coaches will do a Monday, Wednesday, Thursday. Typically we don't like to practice on Fridays just because it's the day before a game um, and then we'll have our games on, on Saturdays um, and if, we, if there's ever weather concerns or the games get cancelled because of weather or teams need to reschedule, we'll, we do have the Sunday option available um, but we, we, we try not to use that too much so players can spend some time with their families. Around how many teams do you typically have in your club? Uh, we have about 25 teams, so just over 300 players in our, in our club. Nice. Do you do these games happen just between within the club, or do you battle any other clubs? Or yeah, we play across the whole state. We play honestly anywhere, really. I mean, you kind of wait until your schedule comes out before the season starts, and you anxiously wait to see where your away games are. And you'll have four games at home, so four games here in Greeley. Um, and then you'll play four on the road and you could honestly be going anywhere. You could be going to Grand Junction, you could be going Denver, Steamboat, Breck, Fort Collins, Cheyenne, Wyoming. You could honestly be going anywhere. So it's kind of look at the draw. Yeah, okay. And, of course, there's always, you know, there are families sometimes that, you know, financially can't afford certain things. I heard there's a scholarship that you all offer. Can you tell us more about the scholarship? Yeah, so we have a financial assistance program. So basically... If we get a player that comes to us um, and tells us, you know, listen, I, you know, I want to play, but I can't afford it, then we'll have them apply for financial assistance. And once they have done that, we'll take a look at, at the application and get them get them playing. Uh, we don't really turn kids away because they can't afford it. Um, we try and make sure that we give that opportunity to everybody. That being said, we can't have you know a whole club of, of players not not being able to pay. But luckily, we were able to do some fundraising events where. We can we can raise enough money to be able to pay for some of these some of these players that can't play. Do you have any upcoming events that you would like to? See? Um, honestly, we don't have too much going on right now. The season is kind of mid-season. You know, we're just hoping, praying that we can get through the season, and uh, we've got about a month left. And so, if we can get through the season, it's going to be a big sigh of relief, really. Um, we, we we were unsure that we were even going to have a season. Uh, our spring season got cancelled. Um, and there was talk of the fall season getting cancelled as well. It was, it was up in the air, and you know, obviously things can change very quickly in today's climate. But um, we kind of we have our winter training at the end of end of the season that we'll do through February, um, and then we'll go into our in, into our spring season. But right now, kind of things are running themselves. Teams are playing, teams are training, which is which is how we like it. So. Yeah, fingers crossed. Right, just get through the get through October and hopefully uh, finish off the season strong. Yeah. So uh, lastly, where can uh, our listeners find out more information about your organization? So if, if you go to www.northerncoloradorush.com or norcorush.com, um, all of anything you need or want is on our website, registration, information about the club, my contact information, coaches information, team information. You go there. You can also follow us on social media. We have a Facebook um, and an Instagram page. Our Facebook is Northern, Northern Colorado Rush. Instagram is Norco Rush. So if you if you want to check out what we're doing, we do post pretty regularly on on our social media pages. Just updates from what's going on within the club to kind of motivational, inspirational stuff to to to, to keep kids interested in, in playing the game. That's uh, that sounds amazing. Thanks, Matt. I, I really appreciate you coming on and telling us about your organization. No worries, I appreciate it, Jonathan, really do. Thanks for having us. Like I said, hopefully we can get through the season and, and get back to some normality and, and keep kids playing. That's, you know, that's what it's all about, getting these kids back on the field and playing, getting, getting it done. Yep, definitely. All right. all right, Matt, thanks. Thanks again. Thank you.
Once again, that was Matt Foster, the director of coaching for Norco Rush. And that's about all we have today. Just a reminder, Mountain West Sports are coming back, at least football. They announced that they will resume October 24th. And our next RMR segment for sports will take a little bit of a dive into what's going to happen and how that will all go down. For KCSU Sports, I'm Jonathan Gillum, and I'll catch you next time. All right, special thanks to Jonathan Gillum again for that piece. Next up, we're going to go on a break, and then we'll be hearing that interview with Dr. Malika Fair about COVID-19 precautions. Right. That, again, that was Jonathan Gilman you just heard from. And now we're going to be re-airing an interview that I did with Dr. Malika Fair about COVID-19 precautions. Here that is. My name is Malika Fair. I'm the Senior Director of Health Equity Partnerships and Programs at the Association of American Medical Colleges. I'm also an emergency physician at George Washington University. All right. Thank you for joining me today. To start out with, what are some steps that students can take to reduce the spread of the virus as they return to campus for in-person classes? So we want to make sure that the entire public, especially students who are returning, remember to wear their face mask anytime they are leaving their house or their room and they're going to be around anyone who's not in their household. If they think that they're going to be in contact with anyone less than six feet, it's really important to wear that mask. It should be tight-fitting. Um, around your nose and around your mouth and not have any gaps. They also should still remember to wash their hands and maintain that six feet or more social distance if possible. All right, thank you. And then how can our university community really better support students disproportionately impacted by COVID-19, like students of color, students with pre-existing medical conditions? Information is really important in making sure that students in the entire campus have the most up-to-date information. Um, also, making sure that there is communication between the healthcare providers on campus, between the, um, the, the resident associates or resident assistants, I think they call them, um, so that if there is a challenge that they know who they can talk to and that they have a place that they can quarantine if they've been exposed or if they have any symptoms whatsoever. How do you think that resident assistants can really help in educating students and informing them as they are their kind of their faculty guide to campus and to COVID-19 in a way. It's important for them to both be up to date on the information and to take away some of the stigma. I'm sure some students, if they have a cough or a sore throat, they may not want to share that information, um, but it's really important that the RAs create a safe space so that they can do so. It's also important that the RAs model good behavior. So they should be wearing their mask as well. They should be maintaining social distance, washing their hands. 
What has been the most difficult thing for you providing care during the pandemic? Um, so I have not been in the emergency department since the pandemic um, because uh, of several factors, especially since I have a, a, an infant at home. Um, but I know that my colleagues, it's been really hard because they've had to be separated from their family sometimes for, because of their own symptoms or making sure that they are making sure that they are not spreading the virus to their loved ones. And that's been really hard to stay away from grandparents and even sometimes their own children at home. How can our nation really work to better support Black and Latino communities in the fight against COVID-19 as they've been pretty disproportionately impacted? As your article said, 80% of COVID-19 related deaths in one area are experienced by the Black population in DC. So awareness is one thing. Um, The other is making sure that we increase testing in um, communities of color. Oftentimes we'll see that there are more testing sites in uh, in more affluent neighborhoods or in white neighborhoods. And we need to make sure that we actually increase testing in black and brown neighborhoods and make sure that there's access to insurance coverage. So many people have lost their jobs and they don't have insurance and they're not even able or don't feel like they can go to the hospital. And we as a country need to make sure that we do that. The other is information. So making sure that this information gets to everyone through community leaders, through faith leaders uh, and through trusted community leaders. And then have there been any challenges with getting specific communities such as maybe more affluent white communities to wear masks? How have medical providers, I guess, really tried to curb that? Unfortunately, we see resistance to mask use across the country in a variety of communities. And I think it's because of misinformation. And it's also because, you know, sometimes we think that we are okay. And we forget that we're wearing our mask for ourselves, but also for other people and for the most vulnerable, something that we all have to do together. And if we don't, we we will not be able to curb the impact of this pandemic if it's not a collective effort. How do you think that news stations and um, educational facilities can really help to curb misinformation pandemic when it comes to COVID-19? Doing what you're just doing, I think, is important. Making sure that you're getting voices out there who can speak to a variety of communities um, and and get rec- people that they recognize, people from local areas that say, you know, this is really important. This either impacted me or a friend of mine, and I don't want to see anyone else die from this. I don't want to see anyone else get sick from this disease. It's It hasn't become personal to everyone, and we need to make it personal and get those stories out there. How do you think that having a lot of colleges go back might be actually harming our progress in terms of COVID-19 with new students coming on campus, with the potential of some cities and schools allowing parties again? Um, How do you think that these risks can be weighed? The biggest challenge with schools opening, so I'm referring to K-12 schools as well as colleges, is that there isn't a national criteria on school openings. And that's what we're pushing forward in our roadmap that our association put out, because the criteria is so different Then we may have schools that will keep their entire student body safe and others where we're going to see outbreaks. So without this national criteria, I am concerned that we will see more sickness, more spread of this disease. And I hope that we I hope that we will not see this. And I hope we'll have some consensus of national guidelines regarding to school opening. All right. And then can you tell me a little bit more about the Association of American Medical Colleges, the organization that I met you through? Sure. So the Association of American Medical Colleges is an organization that represents medical schools and teaching hospitals across the country. So if you live in a community with a medical school or with a hospital where you see students walking around, they're most likely one of our members. And we ensure that the public is taken care of. We take care of the sickest populations. We take care of populations that 
um, do not have insurance in our medical centers. And we at the association represent all of those individuals and make sure that our institutions have a voice both on the Hill as well as they are supported in their day-to-day -day work uh, to train the next generation of physicians. Do you have anything that you really want to make sure that's heard um, about your experiences, your community's experiences related to the pandemic? What we're seeing is that there's an increased spread of the virus among younger people in their 20s, 30s, and 40s. And some of these individuals do not have any symptoms or they're asymptomatic is what we call them. It's really important that we all take this seriously in terms of wearing our mask, washing our hands and having a safe social distance because we may be the ones, and I count myself as, as young-ish, but we may be the ones spreading this virus. And so we have to take it really seriously for the entire nation. All right, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate you. And thank you for having me on your, uh, on your program. Of course, thank you. KCSU thanks Tribal Rights for their continued underwriting support. Tribal Rights is located on College Avenue in Old Town, Fort Collins, and is a full custom tattoo, body piercing, and jewelry studio. Learn more at tribalrightstattoo.com. did last night are you dying to hear about the twitter beef your favorite rapper was involved in well look no further because you can find all that and more tomorrow from 3 to 5 p.m with me dj dallas and me dj asher here on 90.5 kcsu for collins and we're back on the Rocky Mountain Review. You just heard an interview I did with Dr. Malika Fair about COVID-19 precautions and what we can do to keep our community safe. Now, I'm Coda Babcock, and this is National News for October 6, 2020. The August complex wildfire has taken over 1 million acres in the state of California, according to Jessica Flores of USA Today. The wildfire is currently larger than any other that's burned in the state, with the August complex burning more than all of the state's recorded wildfires between 1932 and to 1999 combined. The fire has spread into seven counties and destroyed or damaged nearly 250 structures, according to Cal Fire. As of yesterday afternoon, the August complex is at 54% containment. Hurricane Delta has become a Category 4 storm, according to Bill Chappelle at NPR. Hurricane Delta currently has sustained winds of nearly 130 miles per hour and is heading into the Gulf Coast. Monday morning, the storm was only reaching sustained winds of 40 miles per hour. It is expected to reach the coast of Mexico tomorrow. The storm is expected to cause, quote, catastrophic damage, end quote, based on its label as a Category 4 storm, according to the Saphir uh, Simpson hurricane wind scale. It is expected to reach the Louisiana coast, but travel slightly more west than previously predicted by forecasters. According to Bracton Booker at NPR, a white police officer has been charged with murder after the death of Jonathan Price and the protests following his fatal encounter with a Wolf City, Texas officer. A preliminary investigation determined that the officer's action in the incident were, quote, not objectionably reasonable, end quote. The officer, Sean Lucas, used his taser, then a gun to shoot Price. Price was transported to a local hospital where he died as a result of three gunshot wounds. Price's family has said that he was killed while trying to break up a dispute between two people at a convenience store. That's all for today's national news highlights. I'm Coda Babcock, and you're listening to the Rocky Mountain Review 
Um, we are going on a quick break, but before that, um, text us at 970-491-5278. Again, that's 970-491-5278. Um, and let us know what your favorite thing about listening to KCSU is. KCSU is essential, and we need to know what our community loves about us. All right. Um, again, we are back. This is Coda Babcock, and this is COVID-19 updates for August or for, for October 6, 2020. Once again, Larimer County's risk score is getting very close to reaching the high-risk category. We are still at the cautious level on the COVID-19 precaution scale, meaning that we aren't anywhere near the need for another stay-at-home order, but we also are no longer in the protect our neighbors category. Larimer County has had 25 new cases in the past 24 hours, and only one day in the past week has seen less than 15 new cases. There are 17 COVID-19 patients in the hospital countywide, and hospitalization usage is at 56%. ICU, ICU utilization is at 70%, and Larimer County has nearly 2,800 cases and a total of 54 deaths among those cases. The state of Colorado has over 70,000 cases and nearly 2,000 deaths as a result of COVID-19. There have, there have been 802 outbreaks across the state, and nearly 1 million people have been able to get tested. Overall, Colorado's cases are staying lower compared to other states. The United States has over 7.4 million total cases of COVID-19 and over 210,000 deaths. Deaths are down 6% nationwide in the past two weeks, but cases are up by the very same amount. North Dakota is currently being hit fairly hard. President Donald Trump is still undergoing COVID-19 treatment, but is vowing to be ready to debate former Vice President Joe Biden next week. The president is currently receiving treatment at home and is reported to show stable vital signs and no symptoms, according to Barbara Sprint at NPR. However, some medical experts believe that the future of his condition is unpredictable. Information for today's segment was collected from Larimer County, the Colorado Department of Public Health and Environment, the Centers for Disease Control, National Public Radio, and the New York Times. For access to a symptom checker and other resources related to COVID-19, visit cdc.gov coronavirus. I'm having so much fun. Get over here with that pool noodle. Hope you brought your bathing suit. Stop running. Because after the show, we're taking a trip in the hot tub's time machine and playing all the songs of a year from history. Mom, how do I turn on the bubbles? They're already on. Keep it here on 90.5 KCSU. Cannonball! Now for the weather. This week, the, high, the weather is heating up with the highs in the 80s. Today, the high is 82 with a low of 49 with wind speeds at 5 miles per hour. Wednesday, you can expect about the same with a high of 83 and a low of 46 with re winds reaching 8 miles per hour. Thursday will also be fairly similar with a high of 86 and a low of 52, wind speeds sticking to 7 miles per hour. There will be no precipitation those three days and humidity is sticking around 15%. And for Friday... You'll just have to tune in this Thursday from 4 to 5 p.m. on the next episode of the Rocky Mountain Review, only on 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. Information for this weather segment comes from the Weather Channel. And that's all for today. We just wanted to thank Damien Castile for our amazing theme music that's playing right now. 
we'd like to thank Thomas Taylor, Asher Korn, Hannah Copeland, Addison Lambert, Griffin Ham, Jonathan Gillum, Ben Kruger, Ben Haney, Dixon Lawson, Peter Walk, Taylor Sandal, and the rest of the staff here at KCSU and Rocky Mountain Student Media. We couldn't do this without you. And I'd like to thank you, Coda. And I'd like to thank you, Ivy. And finally, we couldn't do this without you, dear listener. Thank you. And with that, we'll see you next time.